The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast 2021 Player Reviews. I'm Josh Nelson. In the upcoming months, we'll be selecting a player or position group to recap their 2021 season discussing if said player or players met or exceeded expectations and what does their near future outlook appear to be with the 2022 Chicago White Sox. The reigning 2020 American League MVP. Man, that felt so good to say about Jose Abreu in 2021. The first Chicago White Sox MVP since Frank Thomas winning the award in back-to-back years in 1993 and the strike-shortened season of 1994. Like that 1994 Thomas season, Abreu won his MVP in a shortened season because of the COVID outbreak. For someone who has meant so much to the White Sox organization since he signed with the ball club in 2014, it was the ultimate honor for Abreu to be recognized by his peers and writers around all of Major League Baseball. Entering the 2021 season, Abreu was expected to continue being the White Sox lineup anchor and best run producer. The concern with him entering his age 34 season is can Abreu continue to fight off age regression? Early in April, Abreu came up big with the bases loaded as he hit two grand slams. His first on April 2nd came against the Los Angeles Angels and his second on April 8th at Seattle. A week into the season, Abreu looked like the slugger we saw in 2020. Then Abreu hit a slump. For his next seven games, Abreu didn't hit a home run or record an RBI. On April 19th, Abreu was hitting just 188 with a 293 on base percentage and slugging 313. He broke out of that slump with his first multi-home run game at Cleveland. Abreu picked up another home run at home against Texas on April 25th. And after the first month of the season, Abreu's slash line wasn't good. It was at 213, a 296 on base percentage, and slug 394. 
He did have five home runs and drove in 19 RBIs, but the White Sox offense was mostly carried by Yuri Mercedes. May was a much different story for Abreu. On May 4th, Abreu hit a home run and drove in three RBIs against Cincinnati. May 9th through the 12th, a three-game stretch, Abreu drove in eight RBIs. For the month, Abreu hit 333 with a 422 on base percentage and slugged 631 with six home runs and 27 RBIs. After May, for the season, Abreu had 11 home runs and 46 RBIs with a 278 batting average, a 357 on base percentage, and slugging 506. The 2020 MVP was on a roll and back at the numbers that we were expecting before the season. June was a much different story and was the worst month of 2021 for Abreu. He had a 15-game streak without a home run, hurting his slugging percentage. RBIs were scarce. In June, Abreu hit 182 with a 265 on base percentage and slugged 307 with just two home runs and eight RBIs. Even though the White Sox were still winning games, Abreu was having a seesaw start to 2021 and what appeared to be another all-star path after the month of May those visions vanished after June. Production picked up in July. Abreu had home runs in back-to-back games on July 4th and 5th and on July 19th and 20th against the Minnesota Twins. Then another seven-game streak of not hitting a home run or driving in RBIs for Abreu. On July 31st, Abreu was hitting 244 with a 334 on base percentage and slugging 453. By far the worst slash line of Abreu's career. Maybe age regression was setting in. However, the month of August births a different form of Jose Abreu. He becomes a Greek god descending down from the heavens to smite all pitchers in his path. Sure enough, that hot streak continued in 2021 in a 10-game stretch from August 4th to August 14th. Abreu hit six home runs, including one during the Field of Dreams game against the New York Yankees. In May, Abreu hit 330 with a 382 on base percentage and slugged 661 with 10 home runs and 25 RBIs. His monster month elevated Abreu into the RBI lead as he was seeking his third straight American League RBI title and the first to do that since Cecil Fielder with the Detroit Tigers from 1990 to 1992. But September was another slump for Abreu. While he drew 15 walks, his highest monthly total of the season, the power was sapped. Abreu hit just two home runs in the final month of the 2021 season. Still, Abreu had another 30-30 season with 30 doubles and 30 home runs. He drove in 117 RBIs, good enough to finish second in all of Major League Baseball behind Kansas City's Salvador Perez. His final slash line was a 261 batting average with a 351 on base percentage and slugged 481. That was good enough for 126 weighted runs created plus, or he was 26% better than league average offensively, and Abreu had another three-war season. During the American League Division Series, Abreu had a solid series against Houston. He went 5 for 14, driving in three RBIs and walking twice in the four-game series, but had no extra base hits. So far, 
In his postseason career, Abreu is now 9 for 28, which is a 321 batting average. Abreu is entering his ninth season with the Chicago White Sox. He's a career 290 hitter with a 350 on base percentage and a career 515 slugger with 228 home runs and 788 RBIs. Abreu's career 162 game average is 33 home runs and 115 RBIs for his career. That's better than Paul Konerko's career 162 game average, which he was at 30 home runs and 97 RBIs. However, Konerko's age 36 through 38 seasons really dragged his career average numbers down. In 2011, which was Paul Konerko's age 35 season, he had his last 30 home run, 100 plus RBI season, hitting 31 homers, 105 RBIs, and an impressive 300 batting average with a 388 on base percentage and slugged 517. Can Jose Abreu follow Paul Konerko's path and post similar numbers at age 35? Can he fend off age regression one more year? And if Abreu can, will it be good enough to convince the White Sox to sign Abreu to another contract as he'll be a free agent after the 2022 season? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining me to continue the conversation about Jose Abreu's 2021 season is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the Sox Machine podcast. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Jose Abreu did not win back-to-back MVPs like Frank Thomas after 2021, but he did fight off age regression for another season. How do you grade Jose Abreu's 2021 season? I think I would give him a, a solid B. Um, just if you can set aside the MVP season and just how uh, surprised everybody was by the idea that he would win the MVP uh, in his age 33 season for a first baseman. And, you know, first basemen generally have a harder time 
winning such an award because of their their lack of contributions defensively and offensively. If you can just set that aside and put his 2021 season next to like his 2017 through 2019 season, it fits right in like an OPS plus of 125 uh, is in between his 141 of 2017 and his 117 of 2018. And same thing with his WRC plus like is just as his overall production fit the same shape. And then you throw in the counting stats, 30 homers, hundred RBIs and yeah, that's about what you can expect from him at this age. I think, you know, when it comes to a slugging percentage being below 500, that's a little disappointing. The average was a career low at 261, so there are ways he can improve. But if you're grading him based on, or if you're curving it for expectations and just where he is in his career and age-wise, uh, it'd be hard to expect more. You know, maybe you'd hope it takes a different shape uh, as he gets older and, and can make some adjustments. But for the time being, I think he's more or less fine where he is and earning his contract extension. Let's start with the good for Abreu. And that, as you mentioned, is his ability to continue to still drive it in runs. Again, he finished with 117 RBIs, four short of three peating leading the American League as Kansas City Salvador Perez beat him with 121 RBIs. Breaking it down further, Abreu had the ninth most played appearances in Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position. Out of 365 hitters who had at least 50 played appearances with runners in scoring position, Abreu led those hitters with 86 RBIs, one more than Atlanta's Adam Duvall. And when you break it down further, looking at RBIs per plate appearance, out of those 365 hitters, Jose Abreu ranked 7th, driving in 0.48 RBIs per plate appearance with runners in scoring position. As a matter of fact, Abreu had a better RBI per plate appearance than each of the hitters who had more plate appearances with runners in scoring position. Rafael Devers had a crazy amount of plate appearances with runners in scoring position for the Boston Red Sox. He had over 200 plate appearances with runners in scoring position. So the numbers seem to back up, Jim, that Abreu is still an elite RBI guy. Any signs of that RBI production slowing down? I guess you can look at it two ways. You know, whether the RBI production will be partially a matter of a lack of home runs hit in front of him and, you know, having uh, somebody on base, not just having somebody on base, but having like the, the hitters in front of him, not being too big of a threat to clear the bases in front of him. And, and like, say if like Luis Robert hits ahead of Abreu, you could see maybe some, a dent being put into his RBIs there just because, you know, Robert's probably, the best power threats of anybody hitting in front of him. Like you, know, you can picture like uh, Tim Anderson, Yohan Makata. You know, if Makata's power rebounds to where we think it can be and, and where a lot of people expect him to be, then maybe you could see a case where, you know, he also takes a, a big bite out of the RBI opportunities that Abreu has. But um, he wasn't there. And, and, and based on like his uneven performances over the last three years, you know, COVID and, you know, setting aside reasons, COVID and not, we don't exactly know what to expect from him. So I think, you know, I'm, I'm of the mindset to where you take what Mancada does well, and then you see if he surprises you elsewhere. But Robert seems to be the only one I would really count on right now to turn a, a good production season 
you know, having home runs heavily involved. Like if Moncada has a good season, it might not be like a 20 homer season. He might just, his, his swing, his, the way he goes about his business might be, you know, 15 to 20. But I think Robert's the one threat who could really just like challenge Abreu or challenge Jimenez or whoever for the team leading home runs. And if that's the case, that's one area where you could see Abreu's homers per RBI ratio uh, which is always very pleasing year to year. I've talked about that before, how I like, you know, seeing like three and a half to four RBIs per homer just because of, you know, baseball card aesthetics. You can see that drop down just because he doesn't have as many easy opportunities with runners on second and third because somebody else has already cleared the bases for him. We are recording this as the White Sox in the 2021 offseason haven't made a significant move to help bolster the lineup. Abreu has 4,827 plate appearances in his career with the Chicago White Sox. Almost 78% of those plate appearances have been batting third in the lineup. You mentioned the emergence of Luis Robert, and it appears that Tony La Russa does like batting Tim Anderson and Yoan Mikata 1-2 to lead off games. Do you still see Abreu holding down the three spot in the lineup entering 2022, or is there a drop down the batting order coming for Abreu? I could see some flexibility, not like a drastic drop. Uh, I think until Abreu shows that like he's not, not done, I should say, but just having slumps that last longer or perhaps having, you know, the, the hit by pitch toll rising on him to where just like it takes more out of him. <laughs> Cause I don't know if he can get plunked, uh, 22, uh, or more times in the season over and over again, not show some kind of ill effect for all the bruises. But I could see a case where, you know, should Jimenez prove it? Should, you know, Robert really be a threat? Should Moncada, you know, re- resemble his 2019 form? While Abreu looks like a guy in his mid-30s, uh, and, and, you know, perhaps if he, that's also timed with a case of uh, a particularly painful hit by pitch, then I could see him dropping down fourth, fifth, maybe even sixth. But I think for the time being, opening the season, he'll be there third or fourth, depending on what Tony La Russa wants. I, I think either one is reflective of somebody they put all the faith in the world in to drive in runs. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think you know, Rick Renteria especially liked the idea of Abreu coming to the plate in the first inning. So that's why he batted third. And I, I think the more sabermetric analytic approach would have him batting fourth because that's where more, op- yeah, more RBI opportunities are. But I, I don't think it makes that much of a difference uh, overall to where you don't sacrifice comfort or anybody else's comfort in the lineup if it uh, really makes a difference. But I, I think, you know, you'll have see him start third or fourth and then wait to see if one of the other promising bats, whether, you know, Robert Jimenez, maybe even Andrew Vaughn, should he have a breakout season like theoretically as possible? You know, if one of them forces the issue, then maybe you can see somewhat of a passing of the torch uh, between Abreu and the others. And, and I mentioned Devers. Devers often batted fifth in that 2021 Boston Red Sox lineup where you would usually have J.D. Martinez batting third and Xander Bogarts batting fourth. So Devers had all of these plate appearances with runners in scoring position, batting in the middle of the lineup, batting fifth. I think, and I'm again, I'm assuming here, but I guess I could see Abreu being the cleanup hitter for the White Sox starting 2022, just dropping him down one spot. Because I would like to see Luis Robert bat in the first inning, Jim. And I know we've had this conversation and Luis Robert will have his own player review podcast. But I feel what we saw in the last couple months of Luis Robert, 
that he is deserving to be batting in the top three. So for my 2022 lineup, I'm putting Robert batting third and then Abreu batting cleanup. And hopefully Anderson, Mankata, and Robert are still doing their thing and they're still doing an excellent job getting on base because I still think Abreu is going to have a ton of opportunities to drive in RBIs in 2022 as long as he stays healthy. And as you mentioned, getting hit by all those pitches, uh, eventually he's going to wear somebody down, right? Or is Jose Abreu just made out of steel? Maybe he just like his left elbow is <laughs> maybe just a case where the armor is under the skin. Perhaps he just doesn't want to say that <laughs> he's got Kevlar. He's got a Kevlar yeah. elbow uh, on the left side. All right. So that's a, that's a Bray as far as in the lineup and his plate appearances and his RBI opportunities. And I still think he's going to have a great amount of opportunities. And I, I get, I'm, expecting him to be top 10 in plate appearances in 2022 when it comes to runners in scoring position because this White Sox offense still has great potential. But I want to talk about the bad or maybe a red flag. And for the first time in Abreu's Major League Baseball career, he had a terrible time against pitchers who threw sinkers or two-seam fastballs. Jose Abreu did not hit a single home run all season against a sinker or two-seam fastball. He hit just 234 against sinkers in 2021 with a 296 slugging percentage and a 20% whiff rate, the highest of his career against sinkers and two-seamers. And Jim, for... His eight seasons, we've always thought that Jose Abreu's kryptonite was sliders. But he's gotten better against that pitch over time. Is the sinker two-seamer his new weakness? I think it's fair to say it was his weakness. We've seen uh, uh, in, in Abreu's history, like, he does manage to address shortcomings. And, and, you know, the question I think with Abreu is, like, how long can he do that? How long will a... a a weakness set in or, or will a weakness finally set in and be a permanent part of his landscape. Cause we saw him, you know, a few years ago really struggle with inside fastballs and just not get around him, get jammed, uh, roll him over, pop him up. And that took maybe two months of a season and he was below average on, on those kind of fastballs. And then we saw, as you mentioned, the slider problem pop up and just, you know, really attacking him low and away, low and away, low and away swings and misses, rolling him over harmless at bats, uh, Unproductive at bats with runners in scoring position just seemed like it was very easy to get him out at times. But then, as you mentioned, you know, he did close it up and now sinkers are his problem. And with good hitters, um, you can see this kind of flaw pop up, you know, one year in a row where just all of a sudden he's able to turn the scouting report around on pitchers and it takes them a couple months to find what hole you know, perhaps some adjustment has created uh, that wasn't there before. And then they attack that and then he spends the winter adjusting. Like, I think that's the positive interpretation of his problem with sinkers is that just, you know, it's a matter of just going back to the drawing board, uh, seeing what he did to correct one problem might have opened another and then he solves that and comes back and it's up to the league to figure out what's his next weakness. Um, now, the the negative interpretation is that you know perhaps his bet is slowing down a little to where he's not making you know he's not meeting the sinker 
in front of the plate as well as he did before. So he's not getting the lift. You know, more of them are going into the ground. And you can see a couple points of evidence in this. You can see like that his walk rate was career high. And sometimes it's a good thing uh, in that, you know, he's getting more selective and, and more trustworthy of the guys behind him uh, and realizing that they're just throwing him a lot of junk that they want him to pound into the ground. But there's also a case like sometimes the walk rate is reflective of not being able to put hittable balls in play. And, you know, to see his walk rate, you know, clearing 60 walks for the first time in his career in, in, in conjunction with 22 hit by pitches. So his on-base percentage is actually pretty good this year. Like that's ultimately a positive as long as it doesn't reflect the fact that he's not like able to drive balls the way he did before or as reliably as he did before. And his foul ball rate ticked up a little bit too. So there are some indications like maybe his bat is slowing down a little bit and he'll have to make some concessions to the aging process in order to combat this. But it is something to watch just because like, you know, he, he did lead the league in ground, uh, grounding the double plays again. And that's something that's, you know, could just eaten to his value pretty quickly the way we saw it eaten to Albert Pujols' value really quickly. Like once that sets in for good, it's a lot of negative value to overcome. So it's something for the White Sox to be on guard about. It's something for Abreu to certainly study and try to combat. Yeah, so it, he should be taking it seriously. I guess I'll put it that way. Like it's not, it's not uh, necessarily an aberration that can be shrugged away. Because we love to make comparisons between players in sports conversation, I want to bring up Paul Konerko because Abreu's entering this stage of his career in which we saw Konerko age from 35 through 38 in his last four seasons from 2011 through 2014. Abreu's entering his age 35 season and in Konerko's age 35 season, he made the all-star team again. And as I mentioned in the intro, that was his last 30 plus homer 100 RBI season as Konerko had 31 homers, 105 RBIs, and he had 300. In 2012, in his age 36 season, Konerko made the All-Star team again, and he had an 857 OPS, but just finished with 26 homers and 75 RBIs. And then 2013 and 2014, Konerko fell off the cliff at age 37, and at age 38, he was just a shell of himself going through the retirement tour, having a 572 OPS. It was brutal uh, to watch Paul Konerko bat in his final season with the Chicago White Sox. And I bring this up because, again, Abreu's entering his age 35 season, and Abreu does not have another contract with the White Sox. This would be his final season with the White Sox. It's a whether you want to call it a lame duck season or a contract year for Abreu. And unlike his second contract, there has been very little talk about a third contract with the White Sox. How do you foresee Abreu and his production going to his age 35 season? And what does that production need to look like, Jim, to convince Rick Hahn and the Chicago White Sox that he should get a third contract with the franchise? Well, should I bring up the, uh, should I start by saying it might not be Rick Hahn's decision to make? That would be a start. Yeah, I think, you know, it's, we saw it play out the last time where theoretically it should have been a really complicated decision uh, just with Abreu's uh, contract situation like he was, you know, at the end of 2019. He had a 30 100 RBI season, but his, you know, OPS was kind of unremarkable for a first baseman, the double plays were a problem. The 
production against right-handed pitching was a problem. So you could have seen a, a situation where he accepts the qualifying offer. The White Sox are happy with it and they go year to year. But because like Abreu said, he's not signing anywhere else. And Reinsdorf said that he's not going to let Abreu play anywhere else. Like Rick Hahn basically said like, well, this negotiation is uh, nobody's classical example of seeking leverage. <laughs> So uh, they, they agreed to a three-year deal and tore up the qualifying offer, basically. And uh, I can imagine it being more of the same. I think what's maybe complicating this time around is that you have a bunch of guys between uh, Andrew Vaughn, Gavin Sheets, and Eloy Jimenez who might be better off at first base uh, somewhere along the line, uh, whether it's you know, sooner or later. Or in the case of Jimenez, we don't know exactly how well he could play first base. He might be equally unsuitable there, but you have guys who are basically, you know, playing in the corner outfield because that's where they, they have to play on this roster. And should any of them have like a breakout season, that's, I think where it could be complicated, you know, where you could see a case where, uh, the White Sox should pass, uh, the torch, uh, like we saw with Abreu and, and Canerco, like when Abreu joined the White Sox, it should have been Canerco's cue to leave, but he lasted one more season. And, on one hand, it was harmless to have the retirement tour. On the other hand, uh, they did lose uh, the ability to give guys at-bats in the DH spot. And one of the guys who could have benefited from at-bats in that DH spot was Marcus Semyon, uh, who didn't have a place to play in the middle infield and, and didn't have a place to rotate his bat through. So he was more or less blocked, and they traded him away without knowing just exactly how good he could be. So that's, I think, the one thing you have to worry about is, like, after the season, just trying to figure out, is Abreu really preventing a look at somebody who might be great. And, you know, it could be a case where Abreu answers the question for us. If he, you know, posts an OPS near 900 and hit post 30, an easy 3,100 again, like it's a case where like you might want Abreu back. Like it's, you know, it's a, you maybe Sheets and Vaughn haven't, haven't done anything or haven't really uh, come close to what the White Sox are hoping for. And maybe he answers his question in the affirmative. So uh, I think this year, uh, there's a place more or less for everybody on this roster without asking too much of them. And uh, I think the White Sox will use their comfort with these long-running, late-emerging negotiations with the Brayu and just their their idea that they, they enjoy playing with each other, playing for each other, uh, being employed for, employing the person, and just let it play out for the entire season and then go into the offseason with a... Uh, how are we going to do this? <laughs> I think based on the way it worked out last time and, and given that the same desires are in play, I, I'm guessing, you know, should Abreu remain productive uh, and, and no matter what happens around him, I can see just another situation where it's nobody's idea of real negotiations and, and nobody's playing hardball, but something gets done that might compromise a young player's track, but just it's kind of how, how the White Sox are run. It's rare these days to see a player play their entire career with one team. I think we're going to see it, obviously, in St. Louis with Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina going to 2022 and having their retirement tour for the St. Louis Cardinals. It is rare, though. And when it comes to, you know, Jose Abreu, I mean, even Frank Thomas had seasons with the Oakland Athletics and the Toronto Blue Jays. The final game of Frank Thomas's career is in a Toronto Blue Jays uniform. Is there a possibility that even though 2022 might be a Braves final season, 
it's not his final season of his career. And for the Jose Abreu stands, they may have to prepare for 2023 and however much longer Abreu wants to play that it could be in another uniform. It could be. I mean, like, say if he has a really rough season for whatever reason, like, say, just gets hit by a pitch in the wrong place and isn't the same for the entire year. Not done, just um, has has a bad year. Um, and the White Sox have Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets, you know, prove their own worth and prove uh, that they can be built around or can anchor an infield. And that's the case where the White Sox just might have to say, you know, like you replace Paul Konerko, they're, you know, they're here to have their own careers and we have to move on. Like if that's the case, I think Abreu still has productive baseball left, especially if you can point to like an acute event that caused it. And and there's always teams that can use a a smart hitting you know, first a guy who can play first base the way that Abreu can. So I think he would continue playing if the White Sox saw an opportunity or just all the writing on the wall said that the White Sox have to go younger at first base in DH. And I think Abreu would still have some left. He, he clearly loves playing. Like he's He always wants to be in the lineup. He always uh, he, he wants to be uh, in the middle of things, you know, no matter what kind of punishment he's taking. So I don't see his desire abating you know, after this year, even if the White Sox aren't his team. So I could see him continuing. And there's just a situation where it just might make sense for everybody to, you know, turn the page at first base. But based on the way he's shown an ability to have surprising ebbs and flows in his career, and he could have another, just another surge ahead of him, because he is a very smart and talented hitter with a bunch of different swings. Like, he could very well make the adjustments that helps him get the ball off the ground and, and you know, have another two or three year mini peak in his uh, little ride here. Uh, and he could be a case where just, yeah, he, he's going to be the first baseman for another couple of years and everybody's happy with it. So I, I just think the all paths are wide open because he is a special hitter. And if he were able to come over to the United States, like, at a normal peak, like if you're able to be a fixture in a lineup at age 23, age 24, instead of age 27, you know, we could be talking about his hall of fame possibilities. So, you know, given his talent, um, you really can't count any kind of career path out from here, which I think is a great thing. Like I know it makes people uneasy and they want to be, you know, thinking about their 22, uh, 23 off season plans and who's going to be first base, but there are a lot of ways it can go. And, and I think, uh, it can be a little bit depressing when you think about somebody else playing first base besides Jose Abreu in 2023, but it could just as very well be exciting if Andrew Vaughn takes that next step or Gavin Sheets somehow becomes like a a miracle find. Like there are just there are ways this can go, and it should be a lot of fun to follow. Sure, it could also be nerve wracking, <laughs> especially if you're a big Jose Abreu fan. If the 2022 White Sox, and I'm not trying to speak this into existence, I'm going to knock on a on a table. But if the 2022 White Sox suffer a similar fate to the 2021 Minnesota Twins, I mean, there could be the opportunity that Abreu gets traded before the trade deadline if the White Sox stumble and they're not going to win the American League Central because they're like 20 games below 500. It's This is one of the internal storylines that's not being talked a lot about what is Abreu's future with the Chicago White Sox, because there isn't another contract, this is his final contract year with the White Sox. And I don't know how it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to play out. I, I really don't. Like, I totally get what you're saying. If Jerry Reinsdorf has his say, Abreu's getting that third contract. 
But if Jerry is truly letting Rick Hahn make the decisions and decide, and if we do see another step in the development of Andrew Vaughn and Gavin Sheets in 2022, I don't know if it's clear cut or if it makes financial sense for the White Sox to spend another $18 million for another season of Jose Abreu. And then you're entering age 36, and that's where you start seeing pretty drastic drop-offs in offensive production, especially for sluggers like Jose Abreu. So that's why it's it's not so much a fun conversation for me, Jim. It's more of an mm-hmm. interesting conversation that teeters sometimes to stressful and painful because I do believe that one day Jose Abreu will have his number 79 retired uh, and cementing his place within White Sox franchise history. Yeah, I guess I see it as fun because, you know, in, in my job of following the White Sox and writing about them and, and, and thinking aloud about them, like I don't have a strong hunch about how this is going to go performance wise. Speaks to Abreu's unique talent that you just can't count a straight line decline. And it also speaks to just the other variables with, you know, Gavin Sheets and being really interesting and Andrew Vaughn having the, uh, the pedigree that he has, um, that they're just breakouts that could happen. And, and that's the fun part, I think is just, what if the White Sox have, you know, two or three first base candidates? That's, that's the fun part that I agree with you. They probably do have two to three first base candidates. It's just, unfortunately, first base is one position DH is another. Uh, I guess that third person could be right field. Hey, baby Jose Bray, you could play second base, Jim. He's, he's taking reps at third. <laughs> but that will do it for this 2021 play review for Jose Abreu. Jim, as always, thank you so much for hopping on and recapping Jose Abreu's season. Always a party. That will do it for this 2021 player review podcast. Thanks for listening. And if you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine, and you can follow me on Twitter at Sox Machine underscore Josh. For those that have been listening to the show all season, and if you haven't already signed up, think about doing so at our Patreon page. Our Patreon supporters receive exclusive content, ad-free versions of the podcast and website, and the first opportunity to receive our new Sox Machine swag items. We have monthly plans starting at just $2 a month, and our annual plans save you 9%. To sign up, visit patreon.com slash SoxMachine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. 
Go to buyoptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.